document that um, can convey to us what we need to know, in fact, all that we need to know. And I think every, t every time I open, well, not every time, that would be telling a fib, but, um, um, all right, Joe, it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, most times, when I open the Bible and start reading, I just, in here, there's this sort of like, Elizabeth had the baby jumping inside her, you know? You just sense that God's connecting with your spirit, and you're actually on an adventure. Yes, it's an amazing thing. Okay, but I'm going to pray first because this is God's book. It's his word, his truth, and we so need it. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each other for your loving kindness towards us, your mercy, your grace. Lord, we thank you. We've worshipped Jesus. We thank you for him so much, Lord. And Father, we just pray that it may feel something of his presence with the power of your spirit amongst us uh, today. Lord, we ask. So we thank you, Father, for your goodness. Help us, Lord, we pray, as we look into your word now. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit may reveal to us truth that is so important in our day and in our lives, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. If you've got a Bible, can you find Psalm 8? It's about in the middle of the Bible somewhere. It's Psalm number 8. There it is, as Victor said, on page two. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you're mindful of him the son of man that you care for him you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor you made him ruler over the work of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, 
all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We're just coming to the end of uh, a sort of mini-series, a series about humanity and um, how unique we as humans are over all creation or against everything else that God's created. The leaders of this church would defend what we believe to be error in as much that man came as a result of evolution. We feel and know that that's not biblical. We feel and know from God's word that man is unique. He himself is the work of God's hand. He, we are designed, which was the first preach we had from Steve. We're designed. And then Barry spoke about us being known known as an individual. God sees us. He knows us. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what we like. He knows what we don't like. And he knows we're different. And God is so sensitive, you know, when he starts to draw us to himself. Because he draws us in a way which he knows us. He knows what we can cope with. He knows what inside us we are sort of against in life. He knows what our hates and what really winds us up. And God doesn't trespass on our conscience or will in a a way which is abusive to us. God is, that's because he loves us and because he made us individual. So he's also respecting, he's respecting, he's honoring what he's made in us. You know, it's, it's that amazing concept, that amazing understanding that God has for us. Judah then spoke about um, the fact that we're dependent upon God. There's a sense of dependency on God, but dependency on other people. And dependent on, actually we're dependent on our leaders in the country, for a sense, because in order to keep order in society, um, we are dependent on them. In actual fact, some people said that Saddam Hussein did a very good job in his country. He knew his people, and he knew how to hold a, a balance. That's not how the rest of the world sees it, but they were dependent on their leader. He was a leader. And good or bad, God had placed his people in leadership and over us, and um, we're, we're, in a sense, dependent upon on him. We are dependent on others. Dependency. So humanity, we as humans are unique at least because of these three things. But then there's another one, which is the subject of today's message, that we are actually responsible, and it's a unique part of our design as humans, responsibility is an impartation that God has given to every human, whether we use that responsibility or act on it properly, it is imparted to us as a God-given gift to live our lives in a responsible way. Now when Steve started off um, the series, he, 
He had the drawings of his extension uh, to his house. In, in, and the point he was making was that it was designed in a way that suit and benefit them as a family. May not be other people. Someone might have their house later and knock it down and say, we don't like this. What people tend to do these days. And he brought his drawings along and said, this is the design. Well, I've got some drawings here today about my extension. And uh, uh, as we're thinking about responsibility, and obviously with their house and the plans that they had, uh, Steve and Jenny had, um, it was built and designed and built so that they could live, in it, live well in it and um, uh, there'd be a sense of comfort and order in it, you know, it would serve them well as, a, as an extension. Well, um, my plan's just a little bit different than Steve and Jenny's because some years ago, someone gave me some chickens. And so I thought, I need to design a building for my chickens. So I got down and thought about it, and thought how big I needed it. I was going to be given four chickens, and um, I thought, well, I want them to be comfortable, I want them to be well looked after, I want them to uh, be blessed, <laughs> as it were. I wanted my chickens to enjoy being a chicken, just like Steve's extensions, he could enjoy being a couple and living in a house. And so I got the... Uh, I sat down and did the drawing and, and, um, and thought, well, how, how best can we do this? What do I need? And so uh, I brought my design along this morning. And um, <laughs> well, I built it and thought, well, let's be responsible about the chickens, let's give them a nice toilet. <laughs> so in the corner I put the toilet and the pipe, four inch pipe that went outside and, you know, to gush all the waste outside. And um, then this little, little hole here, I sort of sat about and looked, thought, thought to myself, let's see if they like this toilet. So waited and waited and waited, nothing. Hours and hours spent watching the chickens, see if they would sit on the toilet and then <laughs> pull the chain. <laughs> nothing happened. You sort of, you turn away, <laughs> oh, what was that? And there it is on the floor. There's an important point here. The chickens are chickens, and they're beautiful part of God's creation. They don't carry a level of responsibility that we do as humans, because it's just not in them. They're chickens, and so it's a waste of time. My design was a waste of time, you see. And uh, the point being made this morning that we as humans are unique in God's design. You know, there's nothing like your own bed, there's nothing like your own teapot, there's nothing like your own home, there's nothing like your own toilet either. Because this is a blessing 
Because man is responsible over the years, they thought, how can we improve our world? How can we improve our lives? And you know, we just, it's one thing that will never go away from this world. It will never get out of its design, will it? It will never go, because it's so, so important. We thank God for that, you know, because there's many Syrians, you know, who just have not that facility at the moment and are desperate to be settled and desperate to just be in a place that they can call home and to have home comforts, to have clean water and stuff like that. And over the years, um, you know, man has looked at his world because God's placed in him a sense of responsibility, saying, how can we improve? How can we build society? How can we do this to honour each other and to honour God? And the, lots of these things have happened, are lots of things which aren't improvements in our lives. And um, we just, you know, they come and they go, don't they? You take it or leave it. Things that help us for a little while, go back to the 60s and different things were made, and eventually you find them in the back of the drawer, don't you? You know, like a vegetable peeler or something, it didn't work. And it didn't, didn't come from it. But within us, God created man in his own image, and after, and after his likeness, and so we have design within us. We ooze design, don't we, one way or another. Just think of all our DIYers here this morning, how we ooze design at home. How can we better that? How can we improve that? And I know, you know some of them the wives don't like, you know, and then um, so the wives up ended doing it themselves, um, which just probably improves the situation anyway. Um, but um, so in order not to be sexist here but anyway it's all in us isn't it a sense of responsibility that God has placed in us in Paddock Wood just after Christmas <coughs> um, a council has been left stumped after a dove took up residence in the town's Christmas tree the 12 days of Christmas may be fading memory, but the message doesn't seem to have reached the feathered fowl found nesting in the tree in Paddock Wood on Wednesday. Council contractors taking down the town's festive decoration discovered the collared dove and her egg sitting pretty in the branches of the evergreen next to the war memorial in Station Road. What that has to do with it, I don't know. But, um, <coughs> Parish clerk Nicola Rieh organised the town's Christmas decoration. She said because of the legal protection afforded to bird nests and eggs, the Christmas tree may have to remain up until the chicks are fully fledged. This will be around Valentine's Day in mid-February. That's today, isn't it? Maybe they're still sitting there, who knows? <laughs> she said, it's a lovely story, and I hope she manages to raise her babies. I would only ask people to stay away from the tree and leave the dove in peace. You know, it's easier to abort a fetus than it is to remove a, dove, a pigeon or a dove out of a nest in a tree. You can do an abortion just like that. 
So in a sense, we see that in our society, irresponsibility has taken over in many areas, and the value of mankind has been brought to less than a bird. Responsibility. There were two men um, standing next to each other, but one had one billboard and the other had another billboard. And uh, one had on it, Jesus is the answer. The other guy next door said, well, that may be true, but what is the question? But what is the question? Questions are an important part of life which actually help define responsibility in humanity. Questions that are asked. Our detectives will ask pertinent questions and I, Margaret will tell you I just love detective things on the television, that is where things I like, you know. I like the way they answer questions, I like the way they probe and uncover the truth. How they uncover the truth. Amazing, isn't it? And uh, if you've been a Christian for many, many years, there were some stories uh, that used to float around Christian congregations almost everywhere you went. And this is one of them stories. Uh, two, there was a brother and a sister, and I think the original was John and Susan. Um, Susan had been given a, uh, a teddy bear for, Christian, for Christmas, and um, he'd actually been given something that he didn't like. And um, he became very jealous of Susan. And when, and when he had an opportune moment, he nicked the teddy. And he nicked a spade out of the shed. He went down to the bottom of the garden and buried the teddy in the ground. Because he, his emotions had got hold of him. And um, he thought that, you know, He'd do this to, you know, get back, you know, to, to show his, you know, his, his disgust at this. And so he did this, and uh, all of a sudden everybody realised that the teddy had gone, which is when the question started. John, have you, have you seen Susan's teddy? Nope, I haven't seen her teddy. And um, it was there yesterday. Um, do you remember it being there? Nope. And um, so, you know, all these questions went on. Well, they didn't find the teddy. And eventually, one day, I don't know how true this story is, but it's been used a lot. Um, but um, eventually, Dad was down the garden and he, he saw the shape of a teddy in the ground, a grass that had grown up from the teddy. And um, it became evident where the teddy was and how the teddy got there and why it got there. And um, that story was always used um, in Christian circles, be sure your sin will find you out, you know. But um, this morning it's, it was a sense of, you know, of responsibility, 
you know, that was uncovered here. But it was the questions that actually uncovered the truth. And in the end, John had to admit that he was jealous. You know, and that's why he'd done what he did. And um, it just, if we go back through into Genesis, which we would go back to in a minute, responsibility in us as human beings is very often defined by the questions that come to us. And, and God asks questions. There's a very helpful book written by, um, uh, what's name, Greenslade, called God's Questions. And uh, I just used some of uh, that material this morning. A hero is someone who understands the responsibility that comes with his freedom. Now, looking back on my life, one of the easy examples of mistruth was to say, I forgot. I forgot. And so I did this with a customer I had many years ago. And um, they phoned me up and said, yeah, aren't you coming to do this? And, um, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. And turned around and said to me, well, you can forget it then. If you forgot, you can forget it. And um, at that stage, I felt so ir totally irresponsible and ashamed of what I did. And I felt it for a long time after that. Some people might not. But that's just the way I felt. They felt responsible. And that's really how we should feel. And I've told this story before, and, and, uh, but I'll tell it again. But I was sitting on the side of the bed once, cutting my toenails, as you do. One there, one there, one there, one everywhere. And so I went round and picked them up off the floor. And I sat back down on the bed. There was one just over there, out of reach. Oh dear. No, I'll leave that there when Margaret's going to hoover today. <laughs> you know, and I got so stirred inside here. I had such a sense of irresponsibility that I had to get up and pick up that last toenail and put it in the bin with the others because it's in us, isn't it? You know? It's in us anyway. It's part of the way the things that God designed. Questions, questions, questions. Children growing up, questions, questions, questions. You have a job to answer them, don't you? You really do have a job to answer all of them. And my mum keeps asking questions. I really have a job to answer them questions. And sometimes you just have to sort of, you know, steer around the bend and, you know, doesn't quite become the truth in the end, but there we are. The first question that God asked Adam and Eve when they were in the garden was, where are you? Where are you? So here's this couple, Adam and Eve. Um, God had put them in the garden to dress it and to keep it, and uh, he'd put them there to enjoy it, and he told them not to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they had. God trusted them with decision. He, tr he trusted them with choice. And that's part of our design in life, that God trusts us with choice. That's how he made us. So, where are you raises the issue of lostness. Where are you? It didn't mean say that God couldn't find them, 
But God was probing into their hearts for them to ask the question, where are you? Where am I? What's happened to me? You know, why do I now feel ashamed? Why do I now feel I've messed up? Why do I now feel there's no way back? I've, I've done it now. There's no way back. Why do I feel like that? Adam and Eve felt shame, alienation and fear. And that helped them define inside them that they were actually now separate from God. They were separated from God. It was what was inside them. Alienation, shame and fear. You can just imagine them standing there, can't you? Look at us now, what shall we do? Oh, ooh, some fig leaves over there, let's get them quickly. And let's cover ourselves up. We, that's about the only thing we can do. And so they did that. So God said to them, where are you? However, if we pursue the spiritual outfall of lostness throughout the Bible by millions of people throughout history, we will arrive at the point where Jesus becomes, for per every person, the answer to this question. To be found. That's why he came. In Luke 15, there's uh, some parables there about uh, a lost sheep. A lost sheep, a lost medallion or coin, if you like, and two lost sons. Set in the context that Jesus' activity was an offence to the Jewish leaders because he was actually being drawn towards the people who were despised by the Jews. The tax collectors, and they called them tax collectors and sinners. The Jewish people would not mix with these sort of people that they called tax collectors and sinners. And yet Jesus was going to them. So he was reaching out to people like this and they took offence at it. And so Jesus tells the story about the lost sheep. And I just only want to just briefly mention that. Because if you know the story, the story goes that the man had a hundred sheep and he lost one. And um, the lost sheep was lost. But it tells us that he went out to find that lost one and bring it back. He went out. You know, sheep um, don't run off. Dogs run off, don't they? But sheep, if it gets lost, it's probably not noticed that it's actually being separated from the flock and sort of wanders and then eventually gets lost and then tries to get back. And um, so Jesus actually was saying to them, look, I'm like this shepherd who went out to find the one that was lost. I'm that shepherd. And it's no different today. God knows where we are. He knows sometimes that we feel separate from God and far off from him. But he wants to bring us back. He wants to bring us back to that place. Some people will deliberately oppose God and say, no, I just don't want anything to do with that. Some people just in life really haven't thought about it. They've sort of drifted away from the fact that God loves them and that it is really important to believe in creation. And it is really important to see Jesus as a saviour and as a shepherd who went out. That's why he came. 
Jesus said, I have come to seek. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's amazing, isn't it? So the question of where are you raises the issue of our lostness. And it's good for us to ask the question, where am I? In God's big plan of things, uh, yes, I may be sitting here in Briary School, which is not a church building, but actually, where am I in life? Do I have peace with God? Do I have a sense that God's actually done something for me and rescued me and brought me back to where I need to be? Do I feel, do I know that? Do I feel it? Where are you? Where am I? So God asks these questions to expose a deeper understanding of himself and that we may see ourselves in a truer light. So if God asks a question, he's getting them to get a deeper understanding of himself and to see that we might see ourselves in a truer light, being asked questions. Jesus, in his own human words and human mission, throughout his entire life, death and resurrection, said, I'm the search party, I'm the means of rescue, and I'm the entire hospital. I'm all that you need. I'm all that you need. We can't make our way back to God by ourselves. We can't do it. He is the one that's gone out to seek and to save that which was lost. The other question, if you want to see the verse, it's in Genesis 3.11, is who told you? Who told you? It's an important question to ask. Who told you? This raises the issue of what is truth, of what we believe, and what we take as truth. Because um, I think people in our society, even our, maybe ourselves, if we're dealing with big companies, we're desperate for something which is true. We just want it, the plain truth, don't we? There used to be a magazine years ago called The Plain Truth. I can't remember, I don't remember reading it, but I don't think it came from a very good source, but um, it was called The Plain Truth. But um, isn't that what we need? Some big companies who are just open and honest. We know where we stand. You can talk to the head or you can talk to responsibility and you can connect with something that you understand. That's what it is. If we've got a problem at home or with one of our suppliers or a big company, they talk to us in ways we cannot understand. Desperate for truth. Desperate for removal of the small print. Desperate for what's at the heart of the matter. And so when God said to Adam and Eve, who told you, it does raise the issue of truth, what we're actually listening to. The world is full of ideas, deep thinking, and a barrage of all sorts of information. Even with the internet now, we can get all the information we need almost at the click of a button. But the world is crying out for transparency in all areas of life. Wouldn't you like some transparent news which affects your future? 
and affects eternity. Well, I certainly would. I'd like to know where I'm going and what I need to do and what will happen to me if I don't make the right choice and what will happen to me if I'm actually left out of God's plan, overall plan. Wouldn't you like the truth? I certainly would. We love a truth about our investments, wouldn't we? Where you put your money. In general, people like the truth when they've got a medical problem. We're desperate for the truth. But the wonderful thing is, the amazing thing is, that the Bible sets forth Jesus as the truth. He actually said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Whether it comes to the important things in life, it's important to know where to go to find the truth about my life and to know that, like I said earlier, Jesus is the answer. But what is the question? The question is, I desperately know, need to know what is true in my life, what affects my life now, and what affects my life in the future. So we're crying out for transparency. Jesus declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. No, he wasn't boasting. And he wasn't giving empty promises. He was saying, look no further. I'm the real deal. In me you get everything for nothing. Give me all your lostness, and I will give you the sense of belonging as a true child to a true father. Give me all your hurts, and I will give you peace. Give me all your failure, and I will give you acceptance. Give me all your sin, and I will give you righteousness. And give me your life, because I've given you mine. I've given you mine. Who told you? This arose out of the fact that uh, God had asked Adam and Eve about eating the tree, and uh, they'd gone to the wrong source for their information. You know? And one thing Satan did say to Adam and Eve, he said, uh, you know, if you do that, you will become like God. That was a lie, because they'd already been created in the image of God. You will become. And we do lots of things in life. People do lots of things in life to become. Some things they don't need to do. You know, you, you want to reach, overreach to find something, the amazing utopia or whatever it is, to get, to become. And it's there and it's, it's out of our grasp, but people tell you you can get it if you try hard enough. The Bible tells us it will not work that way because the Bible gives to us Jesus. God gave to us Jesus. He gave us Jesus. Truth, pure truth. And if we want to know where we are in life, we want to know about future, we just look at what he's done for us and what he's said to us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm just going to close with this now. There are other questions, three other questions that God asked. 
and we haven't got time to deal with them. But I just want you to, this is the thinking question, all right? Because uh, I try to think, what was, and you don't read, this is not recorded, you have to think about it. What was the first major question that arose in one of the family of Adam and Eve that was quite important? There's a second thinking question. What did Abel have that Cain needed? What did Abel have that Cain needed? And it may answer the question why one brought the fruit and one brought a sacrificial lamb. But it's just a thinking question. It helps us. And I, and I think we ought to do more thinking in Genesis and the story of creation. Because every time I start thinking about it, I love it. You know, it's amazing how God reveals his truth to us. They're thinking questions. Thinking questions. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we can just come right here and now as lost, even, to be found by you. To know the power of your life, Lord Jesus, in ours. We would thank you for all your goodness in providing us with truth in ways we can understand. That's so amazing, Lord, because you know us. You've gone out, Lord Jesus, to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you so much, Father. Jesus, your responsibility towards us is so amazing because you went to the cross and say, well, I, I'll do it. I can do it. I can save these people to do everything what the Father wanted. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you today again. Thank you, Father. We just sort of come to a close and have coffee in a minute, but... Um,